Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that you can do a better job creating products that customers love. That's what we all care about on this journey. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. This is the fastest way for product leaders to really help their product managers and everyone involved in product get on the same page with each other, to collaborate better, build trust with each other, and learn a foundation so everyone has the same language, they understand the same concepts and tools and practices. And in the end, it helps everyone accelerate their work together, really increase the performance of those doing product work. It's not just training, it is an experience, it's a facilitated experience. Go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM to see if it can help you and who has helped before as well. Now, today we're talking about the problem you solve, the value you create, the difference you make, and not just specifically you, but your organization. All right, so just like you, I've encountered some organizations that confuse me. I go look at their webpage, receive the marketing materials, and I'm not really certain what they're about. This is a branding and messaging issue. And as product professionals, we really need to help position our products in ways that make sense for customers and the organization. We have to tell the product and the brand story effectively. To help us do that, we have Sarah Panous with us. She is a brand storytelling strategist and coach, host of the Marketing with Empathy podcast, and founder of Kindred Speak that provides editorial brand storytelling services and coaching. Sarah also speaks on the topics of humanizing your brand. Before starting Kindred Speak, she contributed to brand and marketing strategy for the Sleep Number Corporation, as well as other companies. As a reminder, listeners, if you want a detailed written summary of everything we talk about, including a one-page action guide to help you put immediately into action the key takeaways that Sarah is going to be sharing with us, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 418. Sarah, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thank you. Excited to be here. Likewise, it's nice to talk to another fellow podcaster as well as a professional in this space around product work that we are involved in. You've more from the branding marketing side. And I just want to dive in with what is brand storytelling? Yeah, so brand storytelling can get thrown out a lot of different ways. So it's a good question to ask so that we're on the same page. But essentially, brand storytelling is when a brand shares editorial stories with their audience. So the brand could be a corporate brand, it could be personal brand if it's a solopreneur and they're the face of their business. So editorial stories are not promotional stories are more narrative stories that are designed to live. And if you think of like the marketing funnel of upper, mid and low funnel, editorial stories tend to live in that upper and mid funnel. So they're really designed to help engage your audience, to help attract new people to your brand. And then once they're there, engage them and keep them engaged. There's something that your customer base, your stakeholders are going to want more of versus if you think of promotional content, they're not really excited to read it. They're not probably going to share it. There's only so much of it they can get before they start to tune out and are annoyed and it feels Mm. like spam. So brand storytelling, these stories are really what's going to help educate, entertain, and inspire your audience. Okay. Educate, entertain, and inspire the audience. So this is storytelling to help provide value to the customer some way in alignment with the product that we might be wanting to provide them at some time in the future. Yeah. And I can even give you like a very applicable example. So let's say you're launching a new product or you have an existing product and you want to talk about it more. So if you go to like your marketing or communications people that would 
you know, and you're like, hey, we want to do a story or something about this to get more people to be aware of it and to ultimately consume it and to buy it. So brand storytelling lens isn't going to write a story then about or a story or a video. There's lots of formats for content, but they're not going to do a story then that's solely on the product because then that's really promotional. And that's more like your web page can talk all about the product features and benefits and things like that. So instead, like from a brand storytelling perspective, the lens you would think about and say, okay, what maybe is like a problem that this product solves? And then you actually create the story around that problem. And that's the hero of the story. Like you're going to bring in like real people that are experiencing and can talk about their, maybe their struggles or experiences or things that they've tried or external experts for quotes, internal. It's a great way to show thought leadership of your own employee base, like your people. Maybe it could be to establish like the thought process that went into it, but the product isn't the hero. Your customer is or like the issue is. And really the product then gets mentioned as a secondary element of, oh, and this thing can help with that. So it's very much, you see how it's much more editorial, like something you'd read in like a magazine or a digital site or something like that. That's like the difference of as you think about the two, you need both in like a marketing storytelling perspective, but the brand storytelling aspect is really what's going to be better designed. And what I've seen drive leading ROI of actually helping attract that audience and keep them engaged long term. Yeah, and that's a really good example too, right? As product people, we very much care about that problem that our product solves. Is usually we have some insight with working with the customers and we uncover some new value that we could add to whatever their objective is, their task that they're trying to accomplish, the problem that they have. Having some good understanding about that problem is what leads us into developing a product or service for them. And that's one reason why we're talking, because as product people, we need to help be aware of that information that doesn't always make it into the hands of our marketing team that might be responsible for some of this content, the editorial creation and the like, and to help them know about this. So I want to connect those dots a little bit as we talk. As a brand storytelling strategist, what is it that you do then? Like when you're before in corporate jobs at Sleep Number and now helping companies, what does a strategist do for brand storytelling? Yeah. So I always say, think of me like a rental editor in chief or a fractional executive producer. I mean, there's lots Hmm. of different ways you can kind of look at it. But essentially what I would do, what companies hire me to do is there's two ways they can, I can do the work for them or I can teach them how to do it through some online courses that I have. But when I do the work for them, I'm coming in and I'm developing like editorial strategies. So what are the three storytelling that you should really focus on? How do we define those? What are the, I like, I'm a content investigator and I go through all their data and information and we look for things internally and externally to figure out what does the brand care and want to talk about, but then what does the more importantly even is what does your audience care about and that they're going through and that they want to hear about. And then it's the sweet spot of those things that really helps you figure out, oh, that's the low hanging fruit. That's what we should definitely be leaning in on because it's then it's a win-win. Like it's a pillar you won't care about and you want to talk about, but it's something that they want to hear about. So I have this method called the Fed method, FED, and it's focus, empathy, and data, and kind of these three factors and a lot of elements that go into that. But essentially, that's one element is just strategically figuring out what should we talk about, how you get alignment throughout your organization, how it your 
company, like one big complaint from a marketing perspective is that content or things can live in silos and there's no sharing. And that can happen like between marketing and product, right? So it's like, how do you create like this culture of innovation between the team so that you're all obviously working towards the same goal to get and drive the best results for for the business and have fun doing your job. So that's a piece of it. I help manage blogs as like editor-in-chief for blogs, podcast strategy for brands, editorial calendars, managing like large content partnerships that they may have with external partners. Just really helping be that extra voice of, is this good editorial storytelling content? Does it feel humanized? Is it going to connect and helping that from start to finish? Okay. Do you find, let's say, medium to large companies, do they have resources typically in-house for this editorial content creation? I would expect so, but you may also see some opportunities there to improve that. I just don't know what the state of that is. Yeah, definitely. So the state of content marketing in general, which this bucket would fall into, is growing because more and more companies are understanding like this works in terms of connecting with your audience because it's just real talk more with people. So yeah, so definitely large companies for sure are going to have teams that uh, do this, but then that's always a combo of internal and external. Midsize is the same way. It just depends on the company, but it's my experience is it's always a combination of they'll have a few people internally, but then they have a lot of external partners as well that they're pulling in because it's just more efficient to have a lot of content creators and crews and things like that are helping make the content externally. But it's definitely yeah. growing. And the stats show that brands are saying they're going to continue investing more in content moving forward. I have a quick aside question for us, because occasionally I get asked this question, like, how did you decide to go out on your own from the corporate job you used to have? And my path, frankly, wasn't purposeful. And we can talk about that another time. I just (laughs) followed open doors, so to speak. But curious just what that was like for you, because you you made this change uh, just a few years ago from the corporate world. You were at Sleep Number, I think, for 10, 13 years, something like that. Tell us a little bit about that, because there might be some people listening. Oh, yeah, I've been thinking about going out on my own, and they're curious about these things. Yes, it was a journey for sure. I am base. I am an entrepreneur who never ever planned to be an entrepreneur, really. But things change in your life, right? And end of 20, 2019, 2018, 2019, I started getting the itch. I'd been with Sleep Number for over a decade at that point, and I was like, I really love the work I do, but I'm a creative person. I don't want to like pigeonhole myself in one place for too long. So I started getting that itch. I want to work with other brands, and so then it was then that I started like really thinking through what do I want to do next. And so tw- by the end end of 2019, I had started my current Kindred Speak consulting biz and I launched it and as a side hustle, actually. So uh-huh. I'd gotten to a point where I was like, I'm going to do both. I'm going to keep my job and then I'm going to do the side hustle. And everyone was fine with that as long as I didn't do competing clients and things like that. And then COVID hit right? Beginning of 2020. So just a few months after I had officially launched my side hustle. And so as the grace would have it, COVID actually was a really good thing for me because it pushed me to do something that I wouldn't have probably done as fast. So what happened was COVID happened, 40% of all of our staff got furloughed for three months when it happened. I was included. So here I was three months on furlough. And I was like, I'm going all in on my side hustle. So I did. And I went all in on that. So then when the opportunity came to go back full time, I was like, I didn't want to. I was like, I don't want to. I, and so it was really great because I, I joke because I say I lost my job, but I gained my first client because Sleep Number actually hired me on then as a consultant. So in total, I've been working with Sleep Number now the last 14 years, two of which are on a consulting basis. But it's, it's it definitely pushed me because I think I would have been doing the side hustle, Chad, a lot longer probably than what I 
did <laughs> for sure. And because there is there's something scary about taking that leap from one to the next. And so my advice sure. would be if anyone's thinking about that, maybe you don't have to just do one thing or the other. Maybe you could think about how you could do both. I had that was a huge epiphany thing. I have an episode on my podcast called The Third Choice where I just realized in my life, like I pigeonhole myself until is it A or is it B? When a lot of times there's this great third choice that you're just not thinking of because of whatever limiting thoughts, but things can open up for you if you just talk to other people and have them help you maybe identify some things that maybe you've just been blocking. So yeah, yeah, so that's how I got into it. So now I've been running Kindred Speak Consulting for a little over two years and I love it. I love working with different brands. And then I also, I have a couple online courses where I can coach and train people that were like in positions like I used to be in on the corporate side because what I found is a lot of times you don't always get the mentorship and coaching that you're looking for in a role. And so it's great to work with outside help to get that coaching that you can just take with you no matter what company you're working at. Yeah, thanks for sharing the story. Yeah. Some of the personal insights. I know there's people listening that prior helping others on the side now a little bit, right? They often may just start out doing some mentoring or coaching. And others are thinking about they have a good product idea and they're trying to position themselves to get ready to go out and tackle that themselves. So good to hear other stories a bit. On this point of connecting, right? So as product people, we have our external stakeholders, typically our customer, and we need to connect with them and understand what their problem is and how we can provide value for them. And then internally, we have this whole host of stakeholders in the organization that we need to somehow convince that we have this great new idea, that there's something here for the customer that we can work with, and we need to influence others to support our idea and build some momentum around that. Medium to larger organizations, as they grow, they tend to have these innovation antibodies that are committees or just the the structure, even people that kind of go out of their way to stop new ideas from taking shape at times. So influence is pretty important for us. We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, Product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. And we've talked about storytelling a little bit on the podcast in different ways. And I want to talk about it from this perspective, right? How can we lean on brand storytelling ideas to have more influence with those stakeholders that we need? Yeah. As you explain that, there's so many parallels in like the marketing communications world too. It's the same thing. Creative ideas, you got to get the buy-in. There's the naysayers and the supporters. It's, I think that's when companies win is when we can all work together. And that's like a huge piece of this. And so I would say brand storytelling helps in a few different ways. I think first it can help, it could help give you insights into what your audience is most interested in. I talked about how when I'm a content investigator, I'm going through tons of different data internally 
seen externally. So there might be other pieces of insights that your people who are drafting content have that you as a product team don't. So that's one. It may give you some additional insights just in terms of the voice of the customer and what they're saying online, what they're asking for. The other is I would say if you're launching a product, obviously, Storytelling helps to generate that awareness of that product through those stories, like the example I shared in the beginning, how an angle of how you start to show up in people's feed and in their information so that they stop and actually want to read it or watch it and engage it with it versus just scrolling past it and ignoring it or ignoring the email and not because they're not interested in what you have to share with them. The big thing with storytelling is I think about it as it's like a marathon, not a sprint, because anything that's upper funnel, mid funnel, it takes you have to, it takes a little while, but it is feeding that pipeline of folks for you. And so with that, then storytelling can then when it's out there, help you understand what is and isn't working too. Like what messaging or features or things do they want to know about more that can help you from an innovation perspective, because you can, again, hear the customer's reactions to things that are being shared. And maybe that's an opportunity to lean more in on something or to answer questions that may be coming up. It also helps expand, like I think about it as when you collaborate like this, it helps really expand the size of your product team because you're helping, you guys can work together to, and I've done this when I worked on the corporate side with the product team was the product team had key themes and things that from related to the product that they wanted to make sure were pushed out every month. And so if you collaborate together with the editorial team and say, well, what are you looking at? What are you looking at then as a strategist? You can marry those two. And so you both can be sharing more of the product team, what they want to talk about, just in a storytelling way. But it's going to help amplify that message to get it across to more people. So I think that's a really great way having the shared editorial calendar where product and marketing or whoever is doing the content together has visibility. That can be so powerful. Um at again, being having a consistent voice as a company externally so that your customers aren't confused and they're seeing repetitively like the key messages and pillars and things that you care about and want to talk about just in different formats in different places as it makes sense throughout the funnel and throughout the different channels. I know in marketing, we have this myth where it's if you build it, they'll come. It's like a total myth. Obviously, that's not true. I kind of wonder if like in product, is there like this myth, like if you create it, they'll buy it. Like it feels to me like maybe there's similarity of some people who just think, oh yeah, everybody wants this, but you need each other. That's so important with how storytelling can go really hand in hand with product. Yeah, there may have been a time that if you built a better mousetrap, people would beat a path to your door and actually want it, but certainly not today. It's too noisy of a world and you have to have a way to get your message out to those that it matters to. If we could lean on maybe that sleep number experience or what you've seen in other companies too. Product people, it's easy for us to get overwhelmed. We often have a lot on our plate. If we do, if we have any extra time, we probably want to be or and should be spending it with customers to understand things better. And having some kind of cadence where we're engaged with marketing might just not exist. And I really like that picture that you shared that this might be a possibility that we are learning things about the customers. And I, when I was working as an employee in organizations, I frankly have less insights with this now because I'm not engaged typically when I'm helping companies with the marketing group. So I don't really know at the moment. But product managers were never engaged by marketing. It, it was very much a throw the product out the door to the customers and marketing figured out how to position it. This sounds very enticing to me, this shared consistent voice of 
being engaged with product people with editorial content. How did you manage that before? I think there's a couple of things for ultimate success that I would recommend is one, like a C-suite level, there needs to be like open communication between the different leaders, right? Between product and marketing and sales and finance, like everyone, right? Talking at a cohesive level and being unified on goals. But then what works best from a product perspective, just from my experience, is if there's a dedicated person that's like the product liaison with marketing. So then it's one person's job to make sure that they're that bridge. And then with that person or people, if you have multiple people, then yeah, then monthly calls, shared content calendars, tons of transparency and just emails along the way. But that really was a flow that worked really well ultimately for us. So make sure someone's dedicated for this responsibility. And I'd be curious to hear from any listeners if you have something in place yeah. for that now the, the other thing I would add for anyone listening is if you're thinking you want to be that person, I think it's a great thing you could bring up to your boss right, about it. Or if you're thinking you manage a team and you want to identify somebody who can be more of that marketing liaison, identify somebody who actually wants to do it. Because I've seen this mm-hmm. a couple of different ways too, where sometimes there's just someone that's earmarked as this is what you got to do and they don't really know anything about it. And <laughs> but there's, but when they're excited about it and the thing is like, you are you don't have to be a marketing expert because you're the product expert, but you just need to be open and have good communication with the marketing folks and just be willing to collaborate. That's the ultimate thing is just that open communication because then you guys can work towards whatever those shared company goals are. Really good. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some listeners that might be yelling at their podcast player. No, I'm in that role. Awesome. And some organizations will have the titles always change. We'll have the product manager who might be responsible for kind of the development of the product, getting it up to and ready to launch. And then maybe a product marketer who's aligned with marketing, maybe the product manager is aligned with either engineering or a product group down from a chief product officer or something. But the product marketer is the person that tends to be responsible for all that positioning and, and the marketplace and the messaging and the editorial content and the like. And it's a little pet peeve of mine. It's annoying when I see those kind of as silos. Yeah, Yeah. there's a wall there. We're just throwing stuff over and we're losing so much greatness for the product and customers by not talking together. Yes, totally. And marketing's frustrated because they're not getting probably as much as they would love to hear. They would love those additional insights. So I would say, make sure you have a seat at the table where whenever the plans or strategic discussions are happening. So if there's like a marketing kickoff for a product launch or something coming up, Make sure there's a product person in that Mm -hmm. meeting and can be that voice and can answer questions and be someone who can share information with your marketing content partners. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to your framework here, the FED method, Mm -hmm. focus, empathy, and data. And maybe if you have an example, you could walk us through that kind of illustrates how those things come together for helping with the brand storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I talk a lot about empathy. Like my podcast is called Marketing with Empathy. And I Mm -hmm. think the thing to understand, like the definition of empathy when I talk about it is when I talk about cognitive empathy, which is which really helps us be better communicators with our audience, because cognitive empathy is the ability to understand like how a person feels and what they might be thinking. It's not being a mind reader. It's not feeling like all their feels like intimately, but it's the mindset that will help you really relay the best information that will best reach the person. So that's like mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. So with Fed, it's focus, empathy, and data. So a focus, like super top line focus, I recommend three storytelling pillars. It keeps you honed in on what are those three nuggets you're going to really be talking about as a brand. Um, 
I like the third one to be a little bit of a wild card that differentiates your company. What is what's different from you versus a competitor and kind of thinking about that there. And then empathy, I call it empathy filters. And so there's different ones from a storytelling perspective that I've just identified that help you better connect with people. And so they're like, top line, like data, you have data informed empathy, which is you're seeing like a percentage of our audience are parents with teenagers at home. That's you start to get into like, they're not just parents, but they have teenagers, you're starting to get a little bit insight to like, what life might be like there. Then you have like SEO informed empathy. And that is like, oh, we see a large volume of people are searching for advice on how to better communicate with their teenagers. So they're very different. Now you're saying, oh, there's issues, they want to bridge the communication gap. How can we if that aligns with our one of our pillars, help them in that and create some content around that. And then there's human informed empathy, which are like those shared feelings that we can all relate to. For me, it's always like picking unintentionally picking the longest checkout line at the grocery store. Like I'm always stuck in like the slowest line, it seems. And me both. Right? It's so frustrating. And so you're like, I thought this was going to be a quick line, but then it ends up being like taking forever and everyone else around you is going so fast. So it's the way I've reframed that for myself, because I know I'm always going to pick badly. I look who's checking out. And I, I just think, does that look like an interesting person to talk to while we're doing the checkout? <laughs> I love and I, that. I pick now on that. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's amazing. I think that's fantastic. What a great way to build connection. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so that's human informed like experiences. And then there's nostalgia. And nostalgia and marketing is incredibly powerful. So these are life moments that like, a big chunk of people have gone through together. COVID will be a great example. There's going to be a lot of different narratives around COVID and how we've gone through this pandemic. But like things like growing up in the same decade, having the same favorite toy growing up or favorite cartoon. Netflix really ties into this tons by bringing back all these old shows like Cobra Kai, you know, Karate Kid. And then now you Mm -hmm. see Cobra Kai to see like, what are they like as adults? So it's a huge, very powerful like marketing technique. So you have like focus, you have your three pillars, you have empathy filters, you're hearing and understanding your audience better. And then data and data is beautiful because it really takes the guesswork out of what the heck should you talk about? Because there's so much internal and external data from tons of different places that you can pull and comb in. And you're again, looking for that trifecta of like where these things overlap. I would say a good storytelling plan is needs these three things. It needs focus, empathy, and data. Just like our bodies, we need three things to survive. We need sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So you need these three elements to have a really great storytelling plan. That's what that's what Fed stands for. And an example to answer your question in a very long way, an example of how this kind of came to life was a program that <clears throat> a storytelling program that we created at Sleep Number when I was there called Sleep Thirty, and it's still alive today. Sleepthirty.com. But the insights was one of our storytelling pillars around health and wellness and health and well-being was a big aspect of how sleep plays a huge role and how you feel. Knew from data and insights and things that a lot of people were asking a lot of questions about sleep and there was still a lot of confusion about it. And should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Is this bad? Is this good? And sleep number, being a leader in the sleep space and having smart beds that help analyze your sleep and help you better understand how you sleep and all these things. Great collaborations with Mayo Clinic on sleep science research they're doing. They were like, okay, there's a lot. We have an amazing bed. We know that it helps people sleep better. Our research shows that qualitatively, like from the data, from like the sleep tracking. But what I saw was 
people still have so many questions and people are also still doing a lot of things during the day that may be sabotaging their sleep that night that they don't even realize. They might be exercising way too close to bed or what they eat might be interrupting or they're stressed and they're not able to wind down or there's so light exposure. Like there's so many different things during the day. We actually took those insights and created this free online sleep wellness program called Sleep 30 to give, it's a Week by week, it gives different tips and actions and things that you can do to improve your sleep so that when you lay down in your comfy bed, you're going to sleep even better. And so it was really great because it here you had this free program. So it's helping generate leads into the business. You're getting good feedback from the people who are going through the program. It's helping them. It's like ultimately it's giving them like so much value. You do not have to be bed owner like of this product to participate. Literally anyone who sleeps can take it. So suddenly you're removing that barrier, but it's a great way to re-engage existing customers because a lot of them want to take it to be like, what am I doing during the day? That might be sabotaging my sleep and how do I sleep even better? Who doesn't want to sleep even better? So that was a great example of how we took like all of these insights. We focused in on our storytelling pillar to create a program that met a lot of helped our customers while also meeting a lot of business goals and objectives and things. So it's a great example of how you can think about on a big scale, like developing a program like that, but it can even be smaller scale, like individual articles or videos. Like during the start of COVID, there was so much extra mom guilt happening online in mom groups and things where moms were just completely, as all parents were like so overwhelmed with COVID and their kids were home and it was just a hot mess, right? In the beginning. And there, but there was like extra, extra mom guilt. Oh, I feel like I should be doing this and should be doing that. And there's right. so much stress. So we created a blog series on around called Stop Shooting Yourself and real stories of real women talking about the angst and anxiousness and just pressure they, they were feeling like in a very, really real and raw way. And then we were leading into then as a solution. It's, it's okay. Like that, just the dishes can wait, <laughs> order some food to go. Like it's fine. Like just take a nap or just go to bed 15 minutes earlier tonight. Try to get some sleep. And here's some tips on how to help you wind down before bed tonight. Right. So super subtle brand storytelling, but like truly tapping into the emotion of what the customer base was feeling and going through in that moment. Yeah. And connecting to that emotion part is really powerful. That's mm -hmm. how we are motivated. That's how we motivate others as well. Yes. And it's an aspect of empathy is to understand how people are feeling and reflect that. And when you described empathy before, I was thinking of it as I usually just tell people it's walking in someone else's shoes. It's understanding their perspective right now, like as if you were in their shoes and they might be thinking about or feeling about and responding to. So. Yeah. And the easiest way to humanize that content and all those examples is yeah. to include real people. Like it literally, mm -hmm. it's the easiest way to humanize is real people's stories, experiences, quotes, pictures, like those, that's like the simplest, easiest way just to immediately humanize your content. Yeah. And that's a great way for product people to have influence too with stakeholders internally is bring those real stories in. Oh, 100%. And at times bring in the real people to hear from them firsthand too. Very powerful. Love the all the examples and the Fed model, focus, empathy, and data to help us think about storytelling. As listeners know, we love an innovation quote as well. What do you have for us? And tell us why that one's important to you or what it means to you. Yeah, a quote I remind myself on very often is don't compare your beginning or middle to someone else's end. 
And I heard that from Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi in a business group I was in with them. And it's so true because so often if we're starting out or even if we're in the middle and we see someone else like being amazing things, you're like, oh, we wanted to look like that or be like that or why can't we be like that? And you put so much pressure on yourself, but you have to remember you can't compare your beginning or middle to someone else's end. We are always, we live in a world where there are Tons of different people that do the same things that we do, but we all have our own unique sauce, right? You have to remember that there will always be someone else ahead of us. I think it's a great motivator, but not to put pressure on yourself or get down or have imposter syndrome if you're not quite there yet. It doesn't mean you won't get there eventually. Right. Yeah, it's such a good point. I've heard this quote as well, and it's important to remember we're all on some journey, right? And I do the same thing. I compare myself with others at times, and it's yeah, a terrible habit. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And go, ah, I just should stop the podcast because someone else is doing something so much better. And yet (laughs) there would be lots of listeners who'd be really disappointed if I did that. Absolutely. Uh, Because for whatever reason, some people are attracted to this and some people are attracted to others. Absolutely. The world needs you. Like I heard that yesterday in a podcast. The world doesn't need someone like you. The world needs you. That was another one. That was a great one. I'm like, oh actually you like that you are important and so it's yeah. it's good just reminder to val- not to get into our heads too much <laughs> and we're all we all have a lot of greatness inside of us for sure yeah it's good motivation right thinking about your future state and helping to encourage others as well this is where you are now this isn't where you're always going to be correct excellent sir thank you for sharing the quote how can people find out about the work that you're doing Yeah, definitely. If this topic resonates with you and you'd like to dig even deeper on it, I definitely invite you to head over to my Marketing with Empathy podcast and subscribe. I have great solo episodes where I talk about things from the last 20 years in my career, but then I have great brand guests that are coming on and sharing storytelling examples and things that they're doing. And I also have a freebie where I go even deeper into like my Fed method plus some other things. So it's called Three Ways to Improve Your Content Strategy This Year. And I go into humanizing your brand. I get into repurposing content in different ways so you can work smarter, not harder. And then I also talk about how to create like that team of allies to help it grow. So a little like what we were talking about a little bit in terms of those cross-functional things, but I go deeper into that. So if folks are interested, you can head on, I can share the link with you, Chad, you can put it in the show notes. I sure will. Okay, perfect. And, or d- you can just go to my kindredspeak.com website and I have a kindredspeak.com slash favorites and it's on that page as well. Great. So the URL for people listening, kindredspeak.com. Yes, kindredspeak.com slash favorites. And I do always put the links into the show notes so that's easy for people. And yeah, people that want to connect with you, what's an easy way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best way. I'm really active there. Or if you want to email me directly, it's sarah at kindredspeak.com. Okay, sarah at kindredspeak.com. Wonderful. Sarah, thank you for the information today, for the resources too. That Anyone that wants more detail on the Fed method, to find that, kindredspeak.com slash favorites. And it's just been delightful to talk a little bit about bridging our marketing activities and our product activities a little bit more, thinking about this role of storytelling and how we can do a better job of understanding, empathizing with customers and carrying that forward into the messaging around the product as well. Yeah, I love this conversation. It was It's such a powerful thing. So thanks for having me on. And listeners, as a reminder, if you want to find a written summary of everything we discussed, including the one-page action guide with some key insights from Sarah, you'll find that at productmasterynow.com slash 418. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master 
creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.